Radio 247, you're live in the mix. I'm your host, Twism White Piece, and today I've got a really fantastically fun and awesome. I just, I'm going to love this interview. Ron Russell, a producer, actor, director, radio personality, and one hell of a funny guy. You should check out his shows sometimes, man. Ron, how are you doing today? Okay, but you left out. I was on stage for 46 years. Well, in between doing, yeah, I was a stand-up comic. I impersonated the legend Jane Russell and drag, and I used to do comedy. And I took it all over the United States to all the straight nightclubs because back then we had nightclubs. So that's a that's a major part of my career, more than film work. How you want that said, Broadway or just film work? How you want that? It wasn't Broadway, cabaret performer. Cabaret performer, okay. So I did dirty stand-up comedy. I watched your little video. I absolutely thought that was hilarious. What is it yeah. called? Two in the same. I love Two in the same. Yeah, that was great. You were fun. You wrote that, correct? I wrote it and I started it and, it. and it's a wonderful story about a different part of gay world and gay people that most people don't know. Where uh, the man, the guy that was the lead, he was a lawyer, I believe. Yeah, a lawyer who didn't understand himself. He had no idea he was gay. And he buys this broken down drag club in Greenwich Village with the old broad that came with it. The drag queen's been there for 100 years, played by me. Uh, and my, I think my name was Dauber. Anyway, this guy that didn't know he was gay found that he was in love with a drag queen. But when the drag queen was a guy, he hated him. But as soon as the guy became a woman, he loved him. So it's just, you know, one of the stories that I knew growing up in Greenwich Village with all the wild people of the day. I mean, I grew up with fabulous people, movie stars, that they were young and poor. Now they're all major old movie stars. Academy Award winners, but they're old. Okay, this is this is our little dog, seven pounds, and he's a lover boy, but don't tongue kiss me now, honey, later. So uh, I know, don't stop me from interviewing you. You know, I'm so bad at this. Because, don't worry about it. No, I'll wind up making it my interview. My show, you're interviewing you. How's the baby? Oh, How's the pregnant oh, wife coming? She, she, she just made her food and went upstairs, and, and she said to tell you hi and everything. She's doing Good. wonderful. The biggest thing is that, her, you know, her blood pressure, for some reason, after six babies, doesn't want to cooperate. So she needs a lot of bed rest, right? So Good. she's doing great. Baby's Good. Doing great. Yeah, Good news. So. Now, does she really believe it's your kid? <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we're in, we're in for a we're in for a great video blog if it's not right. <laughs> anyway, so what are you doing? See, I'm interviewing you. No, I'm going to no, I'm going to shut my mouth. You ask the questions. All right, I will. So, anyways, what are you doing with yourself right now today? What what did I interrupt Ron Russell doing this morning? Well, I'm a very glamorous movie star, as you know, and I live a very glamorous life. The dogs shit in the garage. And I had to pick up the shit and hose out the garage. So this morning I hosed out the garage. That's it was great. filthy. And it, well, you know what it is. We had the side door open and the dogs run in and out to the garden and they bring the dirt to the garage. And we have a lot of money in cars in our garage. And I told Sloppy Jimmy, I said, you know, your car's like a fortune of money. Why, has it, why should it be in the driveway? And you got to plug it in. So he hasn't been plugging it in. This is very boring. 
Picking up dog shit and cleaning the garage was my glamorous movie star morning. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I do not envy you. How about that? <laughs> well, I mean, I love my dogs. It's just that sometimes they go in the garage. I don't know why. From the garden, we leave the, the door open to the garage. And I don't know. They just they like to shit all over. What do I, you have dogs? Do you have any I dogs? Have Big black lab, big huge monstrous black lab. She's about eighty pounds sausage, and and she is just a waddle thon. She waddles all so over. Where, so where does she shit? That she, we take her out to the backyard, and, okay, and my so son, you, my son has to clean it up, right? Okay, so you you know that's the wonderful part of my dear friend Tab Hunter, uh, the actor. Okay. Uh, Tab Hunter and I were uh, just fun friends. And I said to him one day, I said, Tab, everybody loves your glamorous life. You know, even though they don't know you're gay. I said, but they think you were dating Sandra D and all these movie stars and you go to Hollywood premieres. I said, and the truth of the matter was you were up at the ranch with your horses every morning shoveling horse shit for a couple of hours. And that's what Tab did. He himself shoveled the horse shit. And if, if they, they only, only knew, knew. <laughs> if, if the public only knew the things that I mean, Jane Russell would stay at my house. They should only know what she went through. I mean, yes, I <laughs> they're, pe they're people, you know, actors. I know what Eileen goes through. I know what Eileen goes through staying at your house, so. Oh, fuck her. She has the best time here. She tries to, she tries to make me straight, flaunting her tits at me, but it doesn't work. No, Eileen, <laughs> she's treated like a queen. Yeah. In fact, we were going somewhere. She was trying on all my dress, my gowns, my drag gowns, mine. I bet she looks just as good as you do. No, she didn't. <laughs> A little jealousy there. Why, what, did I, what did Eileen say? We treat her full. I make her pancakes in the morning. She comes to the center counter island in the kitchen. She sits on the stool. She lifts both breasts and lays it on the counter. And the, the coffee counter cups. More, that counter gets more action than most straight men. Oh, that's not true. You don't know Eileen. <laughs> oh, you don't know Eileen. She's a, she's a straight size queen, straight woman size queen. Eileen she loves awesome. She, she is loves awesome. men. She loves dick. She loves men. I think it's healthy and normal. That's why she's such a good girl and such a sweetie pie, because exactly. she's not a frustrated old maid that hasn't gotten laid. Hey, you know, Mike, I want to ask you, can I talk this way? Yes, of course. Do you know that when I went on, what's his name, Chance's show? Yeah. And, and Facebook took it off the air because it was too vulgar. Me, oh vulgar. Me, of all people, <laughs> vulgar. How could they? What are we going on? You're, you're on the lower end. You're on... Wait, I had egg late before. I got some egg on my shirt. Oh, shit. You want some egg? I thought you, I thought you changed into a new shirt. A what? Jimmy said you were changing into a new shirt. Jimmy's out of his fucking mind. You listen to him. He doesn't know his ass from his elbow. All he knows how to do is PR. That's all he knows how to do. If Jimmy's not here, your version. What? I want to hear. I want to hear your version of the of how y'all met. How how'd y'all meet? Uh, I was walking in the mall in Boca Raton, Florida, minding my own business, looking for a uh, what was I looking for? Something for oh a comforter for my bed. And I was going up to bed, bath and beyond, and this character with pointy shoes with bells on, I think, ripped dungarees with underwear showing, a weird flowered <laughs> shirt, 50 earrings, long hair, 
derelict looking freak came next to me and said, you're the most gorgeous man in the mall. And I looked at him and I said, get the fuck away from me. So he said, why? What's the matter? I said, just go away before I have to hit you. You sick bastard. And I kept walking because I was offended that he thought I was gay. Now, Jimmy tells a story. I had on white, white flip flops with white jeans and no underwear. And I'm Italian and a white shirt and my white hair with white sunglasses. Jimmy said the gay was just glowing all over the mall. How could you not be thought of as gay? Anyway, I went upstairs to the um, Red Bath and Beyond. Big escalator goes downstairs and he's at the bottom of the escalator on his phone. So I thought to myself, this is a sicko. This is a weirdo who for some reason is like have to get hit hard and bad. I went down the escalator and he started following me and I turned around and I said to him, listen, I have friends down here that you don't want to meet. You don't want me to call my friends, they're from Brooklyn. You don't want to meet them. Because if I call them, you're not going to walk for a couple of years. So he got, he got nervous and he left. Now I'm with my boyfriend, Burton Gazar, who's an actor, and we're in the mall again. And then Jimmy's in the mall. But he didn't look weird. He had on a, a jacket with a shirt. He was dressed like a human being. And he came over and started talking to me again. And I found out that he had a radio show. And I had a television show on Channel 111 in Palm Springs, set the record straight. And we were doing a big benefit for, for Costco, Costco, the, the big, you know, Costco Brothers, whatever they're called. And they were doing a Halloween show at their home. And they wanted actors and decorations to look like a haunted house. They had a magnificent, magnificent southern plantation home in Florida. So we went with a crew. We brought in coffins and dead bodies and mechanical monsters. And I said to Jimmy in the mall, I said, looking for an undertaker. I said, you want to play an undertaker? He said, yeah. I said, but you got to look normal. Take the earrings out. Wear a dark suit. You know, look like an undertaker. He said, okay, I can do it. I've made movies before, extra work, 100 films or extras, you don't even see them. But anyway, he thinks he made movies, and I smiled. It's okay. Now, we, we, my friend Burton played a murderer who stabs to death this old lady on the staircase. So as the guests come in, you see the old lady screaming, and Burton stabs her, and she falls down the stairs. Uh, then... From there, you go into the gypsy tea room where the woman is telling the funeral. It was wonderful set. It was a wonderful Halloween. But when you got to the funeral part, there was a coffin with a ghost that used to rise up and go up to the ceiling. And Jimmy was standing there as the undertaker in a navy blue suit with a white shirt with a dark blue tie. His hair was cut nice. He had no earrings. He had shoes. And I looked at him and I thought, oh, well, let's see. And by the end of our party, and a couple of days later, he went over to Burton, Burton went over to him and said, well, Jimmy, I guess you won, because Ron is, for you. Ron is after you, not me. I wasn't after him. I never go after anybody. But that's how it started. And we began dating, and three months later, we moved in together. And then we moved to uh, Pennsylvania, because our show was coming out of there. And we got married in New York City Hall. And it's been nine or almost 10 years now that we're together and married. And it's a good marriage. It's a yeah, good, you know, guys, Jim, Jimmy's a nice guy. He's full of shit, yeah. but he's a nice guy. <laughs> you guys are absolutely adorable, man. That, that, that's for sure, man. You guys, 
You guys well, work well. And you know, in Hawaii, because we, we live in a world of mostly straight people, we have very few gay friends. And we act like a straight couple. We believe in monogamy. No three ways, no cheating, none of that shit. And that's what the success is to our relationship because we feel the same about each other now as we did when we met. We, we didn't have to bring in a the third. Outsiders. Yeah, what the fuck do I want them for? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't knock it. I have friends here in Palm Springs. They're all two three ways. I mean, Palm Springs is the three-way capital of America. I don't know, man. A lot of places can say that nowadays. <laughs> well, you know, I think it destroys a relationship because one is always left out and one is hurt. Not to imagine, yeah, I was going to say the emotional aspect, right? So. Yeah. I mean, who wants to see the person you love being touched by another person? Exactly. exactly. Did, you ever do a, now, did you ever do a three-way? Nope. Well, Me neither. We, we, we're very old school. We, we believe in the old school way. Um, she was raised by her grandparents. I was raised by my grandparents. And so we have that um, very family, very, you know, specifically to ourselves orientated. I mean, we, we have our friends that we consider our family, right? But um, as far as, you know, craziness like that, no, we, we class, you know, class, not trash. That's what I've always believed in. Class, right? so. yes, I do too. And I know that when I, when I first, met you or got to know you, I thought you were this demented creature. You know, one of these weirdo drug addict rock and roll people or whatever they call themselves. And as I get got to know you, I found you to be very, very um, a good father, a wonderful husband, and a terrific guy. And you're the furthest thing from a doped up rapper. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're really, so you're really, much. you're really Frank Sinatra doing rap. I, you got it. You got it. Class, not trash. You said classic. Oh, Blue Eyes had it right, didn't he? Oh, Blue Eyes had it well, right, no, didn't he? Blue Eyes, Blue Eyes banged a lot of my friends. So, no. <laughs> Blue, Blue, I mean, I have, <laughs> no, I have friends in Palm Springs that be screwed. I mean, Frank's okay. not, no, serious. I won't give their names. But one That's is a very, very, got around. no, one is a very dear friend of mine, a wonderful, yeah. close friend of mine. She's a wonderful singer. And she went out with Frank for a couple of months. And um, no, Frank Sinatra was a womanizer. He really enjoyed women. And women loved him. And he was Italian, so he was very endowed. And the women that went with him liked the fact that he was hung like a horse. Milton Berle said that when they were in the locker room, he saw Frank Sinatra naked. And Frank Sinatra's dick looked like the thing you have in the music, you know, TikTok. What is that thing that <laughs> back and forth? You're talking about the, uh, the, the, I know what you're talking about. Pendulum, the maraca. The oh, the I thought she was talking about a maraca. No, no, no. I, the, pen, the pendulum thing, that, the TikTok thing that keeps yeah, the, I got temple, you. the temple. Milton Berle. But, yeah, you know, these, these guys were famous. They had money. Yeah. They were attractive. And, and women wanted them. So they didn't have to go out begging or looking. Yep. I mean, they could go out one night to a club and come back with five women. And all beautiful women. Yep, yep, uh, yep. But Ava Gardner was his love of his life, and she liked men as much as he liked women, and that was the problem. They both couldn't satisfy each other. Now, so so I I hear you always bringing up stories. Is it is that to you considered your? Is that that the best time in Hollywood? Do you what? consider the best time? What do I consider the best time in Hollywood? The golden years of Hollywood, where the legends were. 
when everybody belonged to a studio and the studio did the PR and they made actors and actresses go beyond human. Like who would ever believe Marilyn Monroe peed or farted? You couldn't possibly think that because you'd throw up. Marilyn Monroe never did that. Marilyn Monroe was a legend. Same thing with, with Jane Russell and the rest of my friends. I never met Marilyn, by the way. Sad. But Jane Russell was a dear friend of mine, and, and I know she was as human as anybody, but nobody wanted to believe that anyone that gorgeous and sexy could possibly be human. I so watched, your, I watched the interview. Of my interview with Jane, I yeah, love that I interview. Yeah, that was a great interview. I watched it. She seems very tough. She seemed like she was very tough. A she's, a, she's a broad. What are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. I was backstage with her when she wasn't feeling well. She took a shower and came out in a row. And I was there with her piano player, Peter, Peter, Peter Clark. And she started off on me with her mouth. And Peter said, don't speak to Ron that way. He's so nice to you. What are you talking about, Peter? I'm in his house. He smacks me in the ass and says, move it, Russell. Move it. We're late. <laughs> so together, we loved each other because we were tough. She would say things to me like, uh, I don't know what they, like you said, tough. She spoke tough. When she acted, when I watched the interview, when I watched the interview, she came. I I was docile because I didn't want to get her going. I mean, I could have got no. If I got tough with her, you would have thought we hated each other. But no, we loved each other very dearly. I mean, really loved each other as family. She trusted no one but me. She would tell me that so many times. Jane told that's like me. She told it like it is. No smoke up anybody's ass. No bullshit. No, uh, darling, let's do lunch. If they said that, she'd vomit. <laughs> she was a cowboy. She was, She rode a horse as a young girl without a saddle. So she was a woman. She was like a tomboy, but she wasn't a dyke. She was straight. Loved men. Um, a wonderful, wonderful human being that had a set of values that was so good. She was good value. She believed in, in all the right things a human should believe in. An exceptionally wonderful person. And if she wasn't, I wouldn't have loved her with all my heart and soul. I miss her all the time. And my one great regret is that Jimmy never got to meet her. Because she would have loved Jimmy. She didn't like the guy I was dating at the time. I could see that. I could, I could see that. She seemed like the kind that had the, you know, the good personality for, for liking oh, the good she, people. She didn't tolerate bullshit at all. If somebody was in a room and they started bullshitting, she'd get up and say, please, I'm out of here before I, before I vomit, she said. No, she hated that Hollywood bullshit. Oh, Miss Russell, I love you. You're going, what the hell are you talking about? She said, I made a friggin' movie. Big deal. You know, she never thought her career was anything more than just work. You go to a factory, they abuse you, and it goes on film. That's what she used to say. I say the same thing. And not that I learned it from Jane, but that's how I feel. I mean, I, I, I yeah. No, I was just, I was gonna say. So, being that you know, you know what we call the legends, the icons, you know, um, do you feel like Hollywood has just kind of gotten weak in acting or soft in that department? Or? Hollywood, Hollywood has gone political. Yeah. And the first thing you learn when you become an actor is you never discuss politics or religion, or you will lose half of your audience because half of your audience is pro and half is con. So if you're a Republican, don't say so. And if you're a Democrat, don't say so. Because even back then, they didn't like each other. 
and you would lose a lot of viewers. The studio heads didn't want that because it was money. For every viewer or, or audience participation, you lost $10. That was a lot of money adding up to many people. So we were told you must never be public about anything. Uh, and today they, they say terrible things about the president and a lot of people don't like it and they don't like the actors anymore. There are of course a lot of people that uh, enjoy what they say and they do like them. But I think that Hollywood has gotten too crude, too vulgar, too realistic. Years ago, we went to the movies to see fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful comedies. We left there lighthearted. Now I go to the movies and sometimes I leave depressed because they're bringing up issues that disturb me. Um, and they're talking about it in ways that, you know, like uh, like uh, the, um, what was it, the, the Joker movie? Yeah. You know, they, talked, they talked about subjects and ideas in there that were very controversial um, and at the same time knew that they were going to be controversial and didn't care. You know what I mean? And I think that that lack of respect for the art of Hollywood, you know, the art of making art. Well, that's um, the other that's... thing. There is, ahead, no, there is no more art. Yeah. Everybody or many people now are banning Gone with the Wind. They took it off HBO. They say it's a racist film. I want everybody to know Gone with the Wind is history. It's a fact. What went on in the movie was history. It was, so it wasn't like it was being racist at the time. It was that the actors and the characters had to be who they were. They couldn't show black people as President Obama. It wouldn't have worked, would it? So they had to show black people as slaves. But they also showed the white people were kind to their slaves. They didn't abuse their slaves. Uh, Vivian Lee loved her mammy and Butterfly McQueen. And look, the mammy won an Oscar. It's an Oscar-winning film, the first black woman to ever win an Oscar. It's such a great film, and it's such a wonderful tribute to black people. Why do they want it banned? So now they're not going to ever show it again. And Jimmy said people are running out and buying every copy of Gone with the Wind. Because my wife said, my wife said the same thing. She said she wishes that she could find a copy of it right now, just to have it, just to own it. Because, uh, you know, with it being disappeared, I mean, that, that's a part of history. That's a part but, of my history. But, but I know that, but, they, but what they're doing is they're not respecting art. That film is an artful film. The black part is just a, a little bit of it. The most of it is about the war. Most of it's about Scarlet and Rip. It's not about, it's not a black movie where it, they're putting down black people. Uh, and I, have people. Yeah. I, I have mean, a I question. Yeah. I have a question for you. Yeah. If, if, if it was today's world, okay, back then, all right, do you feel that there would be support or uh, protests against the movie's creation? Say that it was still in production at that time, but the world was the way it was today, just back then. Well, you can't even ask that question because the answer is no one would touch it. Yeah. But just like now, there are many films out there that we're having problems with. Uh, producers, I ha I'm doing about eight or nine films in the next year, and I talk with all my producers, and I said to them, because I am a great supporter of the black people, I believe that um, they didn't get a fair deal, okay? But neither did the Italians or the Jews or the gays, so we're all in the same boat. We got a, a rough deal. 
Um, I asked the producers, I say, how come in the couple of films that I've been in, we only had one black person? Was that the token black? And they said, oh, well, they make all these excuses up. And I said, no, you have to have more black people in your horror movies. I mean, they get killed too. They get vampired and a wolf, you know, wolf man or whatever. So I don't know what's going on. I guess they're going to change that too. I feel this. I was, yeah. I was speaking with, uh, I was speaking with uh, Shuri Johnson from the SVTV network, and she had said that the, the way of going about making movies today is completely different. Um, as far as the sets, the cast. The, oh my God! Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please. So. I, you know, I, I kind of was trying to figure out at the time what she meant, but then I went back and I started watching some of the movies from like the 1980s. I, I actually just finished up uh, The King of uh, New York. I it was called yep. The King of New York. It has um, Christopher Wilkinson. Walken. No, Christopher, Christopher Walken, Walken, right? Uh, I Lawrence know Fishburne. Him. I know. Yeah. I know Christopher. He came from really? my Came from my oh, neighborhood. Such a, that's a great actor. That's a his, great actor. His, his aunt had owned the bakery, Walken's Bakery that we got our cakes from. And I used to ride the VMT sometimes at night with Chris when he was doing King, King and I. Great guy, I love Christopher Walken. So I, I finished this movie and, and then I, I, I kind of went back and I analyzed the, the scene, the characteristics, the way they wrote the script, the stereotypes that they used. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I understand now how 20, even 20 years ago, uh, the movie scene was more antagonistic um, and they have really kind of toned it down um, in some manners. So, I mean, you have to give them some credit for that at least. Yeah, no. I mean, well, I never thought of, I've never thought of a film as antagonistic. I, I thought there were sometimes some things that I wasn't comfortable with. But okay. antagonistic is a little too strong of a word. But okay. 19, 1959... I made a movie with Sophia Loren and Ter Hunter, and okay. we, sh we shot that movie for three months. Just the scenes that we did in the train station took three days. Today, I do a film in 10 days. Okay. So what do you think the quality of the film is going to be in 10 days? Shoot it, get it right. Shoot it, get it right. We don't care if it doesn't look good, as long as we got it in the can. Back then, doing 60 takes... It was not an unusual thing. Just for that one perfect one. That's right. Lawrence of Arabia, when he lit the match, did that shot, I don't know how many times, to get the right feelings looking in the match. Because then the match goes out and the scene opens with the whole desert. And you have to have that perfect start to that. Right. Howard Hughes shot the tombstone in Jane Russell's movie, The Outlaw, I think 100, because he was nuts, 160 times. He shot a tombstone with what's his name on it, the, 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 the big gun guy of the day. I mean, they, you know what it was? Money. Today, to do a decent film, you need three and a half million minimum. When you do, oh, yeah, when I, I'm in some films that are 100, I was in one film was 15,000. If I knew that, I never would have signed in. And if you, if you, if you see it, it looks 15,000. It looks like it was done with a home camera. And everybody in the neighborhood got in the film. Very bad. Editing all real bad and everything. Yeah. 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 And my performance looked overly done because I was the only one that acted. 
The other actually ones were in ad, acting. Yeah, actually. Well, acted. they they weren't actors. They were people in the town of Pittsburgh. He picked right. up neighbors and friends and put them in there. I mean, it was horrible. But you have to make a film today that has a meaning. Here's how it goes. A film must have a beginning, a middle, and an end. If it doesn't have those three things, it's a bad film. A lot of films today confuse you. They open up with back, you know, going back, and then they go forward, they go sideways, they go... They don't do it well. Uh, young kids are all filming. Young kids are writing. Yeah. Uh, years ago, they were adults. They were men. Yeah, yeah. They were not 30-year-olds. They were men in their 40s and 50s who had a lot of experience under their belt. And they belonged to a studio, and they were paid decently. And the money to fund it, too. Well, the studio used to put up the money, but they made it back. I see a lot of these movies today have like Kickstarter campaigns, GoFundMe campaigns, they which all, I mean is a it's a great day for today's world, but I mean that wouldn't have worked back then, right? No. Today, if you put money into a film, they offer you a part in the movie. Right. I'm appalled at that. Yeah. There are so many good actors out there looking for work that won't get that part because somebody put five thousand dollars into this cheesy film and now they're gonna take that part over. That to me is so unfair. You're just a, you're just a, you're just a show off, and you're giving the money so you could tell all your friends I'm in the movie. Meanwhile, you suck when you're in the movie, and they edit half of what you do and out you make, here. And you make the quality of the film bad because of your crappy right. acting. And took a job. I took a job away from a person who makes a living at acting. So it's changed. I mean, now I just got my notification of when I'm shooting. I'm shooting August, the beginning of August. Clown Motel 2, and the restrictions because of the COVID is yeah. unbelievable. I bet. You was, I, I heard you saying some of that yesterday on the Jimmy Star with Ron Russell show. You was okay. talking about only allowing so many at a time. Three. No crowd scenes. We're not allowed to mingle on the set. Usually we go every – look, I would go watch Sherry Davis work. I'd go watch Lorene work or Marcel or somebody. We would be on the set. And getting the feel of the story. Not only that, but you get a feel of the story. You now know what's going on in the story so that when you come into the story, you feel like you're, you're in the family. Now that we're not allowed to go on, Jimmy's not allowed on my set. I'm very upset about that. I bet. I bet. Because Jimmy you know, enjoys watching me work. Well, you know, not only that, but I, I know when I go to like, when I do my performing shows for, for my for my songs and stuff, I love to take my wife with me, right? And so the times that I can't take my wife with me, I don't feel the same. I feel like part of me is missing, right? Because when she's there, I'm more, I'm more active, more happy, more, I don't know, I just more of me, right? And then when you take away her, I'm more me, but without all the fun part, because I'm just business, right? I understand. You know? Yeah, so Jimmy and I are together 24 7. Yeah. We're never apart. We do a show together. So, me without Jimmy is kind of like losing one arm. I love to know that Jimmy's there because after a shoot, I go over and I say, okay, fuckface, what did I screw up on? Exactly. And he'll, and he'll tell me, well, you know, and whatever he says I did wrong, I do again because it was right. See, it's reverse with Jimmy. She pops my bubble. Every time I think I'm like Mr. Fantastic Superstar of the World, she comes right along to say, hey, you still walk on Earth, buddy. 
You know what I mean? So well, I, I don't mean ego. I mean my performance. Like if I deliver a line and Jimmy says, I don't like the way you deliver it, I deliver it the exact way again because I know that Jimmy doesn't know what he's talking about. So that <laughs> makes no, that makes me happy. Um, you know. You cracked me up, man. You, you, no, you, it's you, a very you, difficult world we live in, a very difficult yes, world. Is. Yes, it is. Speaking of, I, I wanted to get back to a topic you touched on earlier with um, – it was called Ron Russell set the record straight. Now, speaking of tough, what is it like to be the director, the producer, the host at that time? You know, when it doesn't seem like the world was as conveniently set up to broadcast uh, content. Okay. I had this concept of doing this show, and at that time, nobody did a show like it. It was outrageous. At, of the time. I went to, up to Jane's house for the weekend and I spoke to J Jane Russell and I spoke to Jane. I said, Jane, would you come on my show as my first guest? I want to do a conversation show, not an interview show, a conversation show right, where right. By you and I will talk like we do at home, like we're having breakfast in the morning with coffee and crumb cake. And she said, oh, honey, I'd do anything for you. And she did. Well, my first question at, out was, what size bra were you in 1940? And she said it, she said it 36B. I said, and, they, and you were so famous for your tits. I mean, I didn't say tits. I said, and you were so famous for 36B bra? That's little. Pamela Anderson's got those balloons. I said, if she rides a horse, she could trip on them. Well, the next day, Turner Classic, not Turner Classic, what was it? My studio. Time, uh, Time, Time Warner. Time Warner, thank you. Time Warner executive called me up to the top office. Uh, Ron, uh, we had a report that you were talking about Jane Russell's breasts. I said, oh, really? Who reported that? I know who did it. It was that old bitch that had a talk show on my network. She was so fucking jealous. Anyway, I said, oh, really? I was discussing her breasts. Have you seen the show? He said, no. I said, well, I want you to know the show went up and got 16,000 views in a matter of 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So he looked at me. He said, well, I'll watch it. He watched it. He called me back in the or she was that she actually. And she called me back in the office and she said, there's perfectly nothing wrong with that. She said, you were very polite about it. And the love between you and Jane shows and we're happy with it. So I had to watch my P's and Q's. Now Arlene Dahl, who's a friend of mine, comes on the show, and she's talking about Lana Turner's daughter, Cheryl Crane, being raped by Lex Barker when she was 10 years old for over a year. Very, very touchy subject matter. Nobody did such things on television then. And I asked Arlene Dahl, was that true? She said, Ron, believe me, it was not true. It couldn't be. Lex Barker had a package so large, had he ever entered a 10-year-old, he would have killed her. Now, do you know what kind of conversation that was 15, 18 years ago? That's, that's, that was too racy for TV. Let's put it that way. Racy? People were dropping dead from the, the subject matter. He really raped Cheryl Crane? You know, and Cheryl called me up when she saw the show and she said, Ron, uh, I really wouldn't want, you know, I really didn't like you to discuss it. I said, Cheryl, your book Detour is all about it. I don't do anything that's not already public. I'll never out anybody. 
So she understood. But Cheryl was a good friend of mine. And she lived right up the road from me in Palm Springs. She was a gay woman with her, her girlfriend, Josh, two sweet, two sweet girls. But back then, my show was a shocker. People said, it's not going to make it. It's not going to last. It stinks. It doesn't stink. I was on for a while. I was on three times a week on Saturday morning. Uh, I went from Northern California down to Northern Mexico. How many episodes in all? I don't know, eight, nine, maybe. Was it one season? We did one season, which is one, one whole season. Okay. Whatever, okay. Uh, however many episodes. Cliff Robertson, I did. Uh, Jane Russell, Arlene Dahl, Terry Moore, uh, maybe Kay, ba I, I Kay Ballard. I have I Stephen Lang's Avatar. Oh, I love Stevie. Now you're talking about a buddy. What a great, <laughs> what a great guy. You know. That was a good you too. Oh, he's he danced with me. You know, he's, he's not a homophobe at all. He's as straight as an arrow. But his wife is a designer, clothing right. costume, a costume maker. So she's with right. gay people all the time. And right. Stephen Lang has gay people in his house all the time. So he's very gay friendly. But what a terrific fellow. What a, first thing I when I met him is I said to off camera, I said, How tall are you? He yeah. said, five, five eleven or five ten and a half. I said, What size jacket are you? He said, A 38. I said, You are a little fella. On yeah. screen in Avatar, you look like this gigantic muscular hulk. Not yeah. in person. In person. He's the same he, size as me. Yeah, he's the same yeah. size as me. That's he's he, he's a slight guy. So we were talking about being gay and stuff. I said, you're not homophobic, are you? And he said, would you like to dance? <laughs> and I said, yes. And we got up and we started dancing cheek to cheek. He was That's the best. Right. Fun interviews, yeah. terrific guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear from him a lot. When he did that movie that was wonderful, his last film that I saw, where he was blind and kids broke into his house. Uh, and the way he was, as a blind man, defending himself against these terrible kids that were trying to hurt him. I forgot the name of the film, but a brilliant film. And he was... Check that out. Oh, he was wonderful in it. He gave a performance that was beyond belief. Uh, Stephen is a good actor. Yes, yes, he is. Did you know he's got three avatars he's making? Yeah, well, I, you know, I was just reading up on the Avatar, I guess, extended trilogies that they're going to be doing here. There's like, what, five, six of them they're going to be making. So well, Stephen, very... he's in the first three. Yeah, and it's very cool to see that they incorporated. You know, I didn't like, uh, I don't know if you were, did you ever watch Iron Man, the first one? I don't know if it's the first or the second. Jimmy watches uh, all that junk. I uh, watch what it. They, 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 repl they replaced, uh, I think his name was uh, Terrence Howard from Empire. They replaced him with Don Cheadley. And I don't like it when they switch characters on you in the middle of a story movie, you know. <laughs> I, I like the fact that they kept the same people Astro. all the way through. They're doing a good job at that. So. Sorry. Um, Don't worry about it. I still can't get over that. But <laughs> Batman is now a woman, or Superman is yeah. a woman. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think, I, I, I believe in, uh, you know, I believe in, in unity and equality and everything. I mean, but no, I um, make a lot of... Woman. Huh? Now they'll make Abraham Lincoln a woman. No, facts are facts. Superman is called Superman. Not super right, exactly. Exactly. It's not a racist or a sexist thing. 
No, it's just that's the way it was created, right? That's the way it was created. They I mean, want to masculinize us. They're taking everything away from guys. Men can't be men anymore. Men have to be women. Men have to be with women. Men have to help their wife with a manicure, paint their toenails. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but to me, not that I'm not. Not that I'm not willing to do that, but I'll do that by my personal choice. Not, you know, not because I'm being told that's the right thing to do or the right. not right. Thing. You know what I like? You understand what I'm saying by that? Yes. In Hollywood, there's a name for men like that. They're not gay. I forgot what they're called. But I, they're, I believe it's called metrosexual. Yeah, that's what it is. And those those guys don't know who the fuck they are. And I've spoken to, <laughs> no, I've spoken to many of them and they say, oh, you know, I'm bisexual. I said, oh, when did you do that? Well, I decided yeah. at one point to be bisexual. I said, oh, you decided to be bisexual. No, you don't decide to be bisexual. You are or you're not, right? Well, exactly. born bisexual or whatever. So this bullshit about where they're going to be like women and men, what is wrong? They wear nail polish, they tweeze their eyebrows, and they're straight. What real woman wants to go to bed with a drag queen? I mean, no real women want men. They want lumberjacks. They want guys with eight inches, tough guy, big guy, muscle. They want to be banged into heaven. They don't want to be tickled by some fairy. Well said. Well I mean, said. I was married to my wife for 16 years, and I was always a, a Brooklyn guinea who had a screw. I was never a girly boy. Never. Yeah, yeah. And you have a wonderful family, right? Uh, Leslie and Deirdre. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Daughters, my life, my life. Like you're going to have your children as your life. They're my life. I live because of them. I won't die because of them. I I, I was I was there at your little birthday video thing, and so I was hearing the the camaraderie between you and your daughters, and it was so familiar to me it sounded like me and my daughters right so so i was like i was laughing right along like the dysfunctional part putting the fun and dysfunctional so yeah now, people say what's the success to having your daughters living in palm springs because of you i said listen if you do if you plug in good you get good back children repeat what you give them if you give them love and kindness they will give you love and kindness if you give them arrogance and strictness you know being disciplinarian they're going to do the same back and my daughters have always been my pals from very young with respect they never overstepped their barrier with daddy because daddy was strict no drinking no boys in the basement no no whoring and i raised them that way class not trash class yeah. not trash. yes but i was liberal as far as many issues and I hung out with them. I, so am I. I am. I, my 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 kids say that I'm the uh, I'm the cool dad. I guess is what it, is what the term is. It's called the cool dad. So, I guess. I mean, I just uh, I know what it's like to I know what it's like to not have parents. And I so and I also know what it's like to be under that strict authoritarian type of viewpoint. And I believe that I believe that people should be able to make their decisions. And that includes a 13 year old, a 14 year old. The difference is, is that if you have guided them the right way and you've taught them the right way and you establish a comfortable enough relationship with them, they're going to make the right decisions because they, they see you making the right decisions. Right. And like you said, they reciprocate what they see, what they hear, what they're taught. So I, I guess I'm a kind of a lead by example kind of guy. Right. You know what I mean by that? Good, good goodness gets goodness. That's why I'm such a 
I, I'm so against hate, the word hate. I never write it, I never use it. I, I don't like the word because that word is so negative. It destroys self. It destroys everything. I mean, you could go to work and say, I hate work, and you've ruined the day. Uh, you have to learn to find the silver cloud in a storm. Uh, everything. everything negative has something positive in it. You have to find the positive. Yeah, something. Well, there's some, I mean, you could have a lot. I could be going on a movie I dislike intensely, but Lorene Landon is in it. You know, there's my positive. I get to see Lorene, who I love so much. Uh, I, I look for positive in it. Prayers for her. Prayers for Lorene right now. You know, positive vibes, the whole nine yards. Well, Lorene is doing good. She's home and she's doing good. And eventually she will need dialysis. And she's waiting for a kidney. She's on a kidney list. And she's my dearest friend in the world. If you knew her, you would love her like I do. She goes to church and spends a whole day at church helping people. She is a kind, oh, kind heart, kind. Good girl, sweet. The best human being I know. I mean, she's just the most wonderful person. She captivates everyone. Always has a smile. Always. Picture every video, every, always a smile, right? And yes, and being with her, there's not a, never between the two was a neg negative word ever said. And the positivity that we bang off each other energizes us. And when I leave her house or she leaves our house, we're electrified. Yeah, exactly. I feel wonderful. Now, I have another friend who I will not mention who's a negative. He's always complaining. He's dying of this. He's dying of that. He hates Trump. He hates this one. He hates that one. He hates too much hate in your life. How could you ever be happy when you have so much hate in you? You're bringing yourself down. Yeah. yeah, happiness comes from within. You create your own happiness by being positive. So if a friend writes something, like they write shit on my Facebook page because I made a stupid statement about, I won't even repeat it. I, I didn't mean what it sounded like, but I meant the bad ones, you know, get rid of the bad ones that were, that were destroying people's property. Only because my friend Cece Skykes, who's a black girl, owned that beautiful shop on Melrose. And when I found out that Cece almost lost her life, they came in blowing things up and breaking, I was furious, furious that you did that to my friend. Anyway, um, but, but no way, oh, I'm not a racist. They came on, called me racist. They were, they were getting rid of me, blocking me. And I went on a couple of their site, their pages, and I found out that I wasn't even friends with these people. Not one you know, of my friends blocked me. They were strangers who just came in racist, and out. Racist is such a term that's thrown around in today's society so easily anymore. Um, you know, well, it's I, lost, I've grown up, lost its true meaning. Yeah, I, I, I've grown up in uh, what I will say has been um, not the most white friendly of neighborhoods. And I will say that, you know, racism is a part of life. Uh, it shouldn't be allowed. It shouldn't be tolerated, obviously. But to sit there and say that, you know, it's simply a one gender or a one culture or a one sexual orientation, uh, you know, stigma, that's a lie. You know, racism uh, happens to everybody and everything. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I'm going to I'm going to disagree with you. OK, if you if you are educated and intelligent. There is no such thing as racism. I have a multitude of friends who are black. 
starting with C.C. Pensington, with C.C. Stites, yeah. with Wendy Moten, with uh, Nick, uh, uh, my Lily McLeod. I mean, guy, black friends. We don't have those feelings when we're together. My house, when I have parties, there are just as many black people in my home as white people. And none of us feel that. We don't even see the color. We see the love that we have for each other. Because these right. people are educated people. It's the ignorance. Right? But you've experienced it, right? What? Racism. Racism? Never. 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 As an Italian? Uh, as 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 an Italian, as a white man. No, as, no, uh, no, never, never, never. Never, I swear to God, on my kids, never, not never knowing. Maybe I was, but I don't know. I was. Right. I came from Brooklyn. I yeah, grew yeah. up. I grew up in Astoria, Queens. We had right. we had black kids in our school, and I never. But I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about just from blacks, though. What about from your own? What about whites being racist towards a white person, saying because you hung out with such and such, I don't like you no more. No, I don't have that. You don't have that. Well, you know what you. Of course, you have to remember. <laughs> Uh, no, listen, listen, Twizzle. I live in a world of educated people. Right. right. I don't. I don't have morons in my life. Right. Yes, right. Stupid. Which stupid. There are a lot of. There are so many of them. You know, right? if I, if, if if this has never really happened, but let's make it happen. Make believe. If I went to a cocktail party and I met a black person who said unkind thing, unkind words about a white person, I would walk away, and say, this person will never be in my life. And, and that's what I do. There are so many people out there who are not racist, who really believe that it's okay. It's the ignorant, uneducated, drugged up hood people, whatever they call the hood. Those are the people that don't understand. They feel like we're the privileged white person. I was not privileged. I was born in the project in Brooklyn with black people. We, we had half of the project was black and white. So I'm privileged. I was never privileged. We moved to Astoria because my sister had rheumatic fever and they wanted a house. And my father, we had a cold water flat because of the war. We didn't even have heat or hot water. I used to take a bath in the bathtub with a big spaghetti pot full of water, one inch deep. Okay. That was privileged. So one jerk wrote on my page, he said, oh, because you have white skin, you think you're somebody. I wrote back, I said, baby, I'm Italian. My skin's darker than you. Look how dark I am. I'm not white. <laughs> I mean, they're so stupid, I didn't even bother responding. Um, I don't care for what the police do to everybody. I've had encounters with the cops. You know, my sheriff, uh, I'm, yeah, well, they, they're a little too rough. They're a little too militant. They're a little too hipper than God. Lower it, boys. You're, it's a job, you know? And you can arrest somebody and do it with dignity and not make the person feel like shit until they are proven to be whatever there is that you're arresting them for. Until then, they are innocent. Treat people innocently. Right. And then when they become criminals, you could get tough. But, I mean, like old ladies, 80 years old, I've heard stories. The cops pulled them out of a car. I mean, come on. I mean, what, an 80-year-old lady is, is, is fighting with a policeman? That well, I think in Palm Springs. I think, this is, I think this is a problem that's been going on for as long as I can remember. The difference is, is that now we live in such an internet and social media savvy world that we're finally able to expose these kind of people. We're finally able to bring to light all of the ignorance and the evil that's being done 
without any consequences or repercussion for it. So I, I think, you know, it's a good thing that's happening now. I just wish that it could be done in a better way. Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. I need the enlightenment. We just need to go about it in a better way, right? I believe in what they say. Of course I do. I defend all my friends. I don't care what color. I mean, I defend I, somebody on Facebook, a friend of mine was in trouble when I came forward and everybody went against me. And I don't really care because that's what we did. Well, where I came from. Your friends and family, that's all. Yeah, that, that was it. That was the Brooklyn slogan. Stick up for me or you're out. You know, exactly. we, stuck, we stuck up for each other. So I was raised on sticking up for people. Yep. But uh, what is the saying? Black is important. What do they say? Black is? Black lives matter. Yeah, black lives matter. And I would say black, white lives, and everyone's life matter. Everybody's life matters. The all lives matter. You would fall under the all lives matter. Black people are not the only people that have been assaulted by the police. Don't forget, I'm from Brooklyn. I was raised with the Italian. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of that. New York cops, boy, they're they're kind of feisty themselves, aren't they? I I, I was around heads, couple to couple, you wouldn't believe. I know what I'm talking about. And I know how these cops got paid off. Okay? Yeah. You got stopped, they got stopped in a car with a friend. There was a gun in the glove compartment. The cops opened the glove compartment, found the gun, and the driver gave them $200. And they say, have a good day. So I've been around that sort of police bullshit. I've been around the police that destroyed gay people's gay bars. Back in the old days, gay was not allowed. More than 12 gay people in the room was called a conspiracy, and you were arrested for consp- being a conspirator. Um, wow. The cops used to come into a gay bar and go over to all the guys and say, take all the money out of your pocket. We did, and they'd take the money and leave. Wow. Um, we were beaten up. We were hit by cops. Go on, you lousy fucking fags. You fucking fags, get out of here. Don't come back to this neighborhood. And they beat us up, punch us, and we couldn't hit them back. So we gay people have been abused by the police department also. And if they don't abuse us, they make fun of us. Go on, you little fairy. Come on, Mary. Come over here. Suck my dick. Shit like that. That is that is demeaning. Those words hurt more than the punch in the face. So I feel for black people. I know what they're going through. We went through it as gay people. And the police need to be taught to be human and civilized. You can't get rid of the police. That's insane. Because then I'd be robbing banks every day. I mean, I would. If they got rid of the cops, I'd rob banks. I, I think it's you know, I think it's more. I think it's more than just what we call the police. I think it's it's the idea that the police have that is also shared by a lot of a lot of people who we consider to be ignorant. You know what I mean? I mean, I. I I'll well, say as I, politely as I can. You know, it's it's cops, yes, but it's that mentality that they have inside their heads that is shared among other people in the world, especially influential people, um, and that's what's bringing down the world right now. You know what I mean? I, mean, I have I have a friend on Long Island who's a Long Island cop, yeah. and we had a phone call a couple of days ago. We spoke, and he said, Ron. Our precinct said, do whatever it takes to bring the criminal down. And that's what they're told. So I, so I said, well, why didn't they use a stinger gun on this guy? They could have stung him with the stinger gun, and he would have, you know, they could have arrested him. Yeah. 
Okay, the guy was fighting the cop because he was loaded, whatever, if that's the case. But the cop had no right to kill him. And knowing he was killing him, because if you saw the video, you saw how he was being murdered and people were screaming. The guy can't breathe. He peed himself. It's the most horrible video I have ever had to see. It is heartbreaking to see a human being being destroyed like that by somebody with authority. He thinks that's, that they're in the right. He thinks that they can get away with it, right? Well, they won't get away with it. And I think they're going to set the record straight on that one where other cops now are going to be afraid to, to be so brutal. Because well, I think, now, you know, they should start wearing their body cams then too. You know what I mean? Instead of always having the body cam accidentally off or something like that, there needs to be more, a more responsible decision-making on the part of the person who is supposed to be there for the protection of society rather than the enforcement of government rules. Well, in short, I can say this. Our tax money pays the police to kill us. Mm. All right? And I'm sure that's what George thought, or, or somebody that knows George thought. We pay taxes so the police could kill George. And that's it. That's a part of the world I don't care for. That's a negative. But I really don't want them to riot and break into stores. Fifth Avenue is possible. You got to be classy. You got to be. You, you can't just approach no, everything. No, 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 no. Because now I know that the black people have made a riot against white people. There are more white people now that hate black people. So I'm using that word wisely, because black people have destroyed white neighborhoods. You can't get anywhere doing that. Bad doesn't make good. Two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, destroying the property of people who are innocent people is not fair. That is misconduct. Now we understand that these people are paid. They're not really the protesters. Uh, the protesters are nice people who are trying to make a statement, but some big shots are paying these criminals to go in there and incite riots. If that's true, we'll find out. As with everything, as with everything, you've got your good people that go about it doing it the right way, and you've got your people that are just not using their brains, right? So, well, as, as far as I'm concerned, not to be patronizing or full of shit or making a statement to sound like a goody two-shoes, I have the nicest black people for friends, and I love Cece Pensington. I, I'm dying for her to come to the house. I miss her. My friends are so kind and so loving and so full of fun they're just the loveliest people in my life gotcha. so i feel for their i feel their pain as you do as any decent person does well you know my kids are mixed my kids are mixed for one so i come how, how are your kids mixed uh so mom is spanish and romanian and so yeah. they have uh, you know, they're I'm white, obviously, so they're mixed with the white and the Spanish and the Romanian. Which are oh, you white? Uh, I, I, I'm white. I, I yeah. thought you were Asian. No, I, you know, it, a little bit in the eyes. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> only kidding. Only kidding. Uh, but so you know, so half your of my wife family, had your wife had black husbands. Uh, you know, whether she did or didn't, I don't know. <laughs> I know she's had me, and that's that's all I can say for that, right? That's um, all. But that is. I. I will say that uh, you know there there are some of my kids in this house that have a darker skin than other ones, um, and so when you see us standing side by side, it's 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 an odd thing to look at. So I also come from the backgrounds of you know 
like I said, being the only white person in the neighborhood, things like that. And I was always respected. I was always tra- treated well. Um, so my my thing is, is that, you know, if you are the type of person who automatically assumes something about somebody without knowing them. A book by its cover. Exactly. Exactly. Then you yourself are already the person who is committing the first wrong. You you should never enter into a situation with anybody or with anything automatically thinking you know who or what they might be. Well, Matt, that's an assumption. I also want to bring another name in that I want to leave out. Sherry Belafonte, you know, is a good friend of mine. Sherry Belafonte is probably one of the most intelligent women around. She is um, she has an insight that nobody else has uh, and a kind, dear, sweet, loving person. That's Harry Belafonte's daughter, everybody. Um, Sherry Belafonte, just a sweet girl, woman, friend. So yeah, I I, think- I, there's no racism or prejudice against Sherry. I mean, come on. She's blonde now anyway. She looks Swedish. <laughs> Don't you love how we can just change our looks today so easily? I mean, I well, remember- why not? Everybody has a right to be blonde. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I, you see all this gray going through here? I'm thinking about doing something with myself, too. Either that or I'm going to go all white like you. Well, I went all white only because I started to look like a vampire. Yeah. I was dyeing my hair black. And I, when I met Jane Russell, I had just black hair. Yeah. Then yeah. Years went by, and I went up to her house with white hair. I, ble- I bleached. I was a hairdresser. So I bleached out the black and made it snow white. And I walked in and she looked at me and she said, well, let it grow in gray, not platinum blonde. So I let it grow in gray. Like hers was gray, but she wore wigs whenever we went out. So people would know who she was. Lucky her. She's, she's got a wall. that has got different, different ones on me. I have to, I have to suffer. You know, I have to suffer with you know, what I have. You're, you're, a, you're a young man. Gray hair looks sexy on a young man. <laughs> That's what she said. She said, don't worry. It looks good on you. Yeah. Okay. No, really. When, when you're an old fuck like me, the white hair is like Grandma Moses. But <laughs> when, if I had this color hair when I was 30, oh, my God, I would have been dropped at exquisite. <laughs> Are you kidding? But it came with as, as an old man, old grandpa. That's what I be- wanted to say before about my fan mail. I get a lot of uh, AOLs. What is that? Uh, AOLs. Emails. Emails. And they say a lot of nice things about me. But the most wonderful compliments are, I wish you were my father, or I wish you were my grandfather. Those are the people that I really feel so close to. Because they see in me something that is not artistic. It's human. Well, you know, I even I've told you before, man, you're a good father. You are. You're a good father. I'm a great father, not a good one, a great one. Yeah, there you go. Well said. Oh well no, said. no, no, no. I I never I I gave up I gave up show business for my children. When the old lady, the drunk, took a powder and she didn't want to be a mother anymore or a wife, she didn't see my children in thirty five years. She never even called to see if they were alive. She just went away. Uh not because I was gay. She didn't even know. It was because she came from a fucked up family and she was a cold potato. Anyway, um, I gave up going to making films, doing television so I could raise my children. I went back to hairdressing to make a living. And um, yeah, my, I was Mr. original Mr. Mom. I would make sure I was home you know, during the week 
to make them uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, of which Angelina Jolie, who's Angie Voigt, used to have in my house with Deirdre. I used to make Angie peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I wanted to ask her one day, doesn't your mother make these for you? But I wouldn't hurt her feelings. But that kid, her eyes would glow when I gave her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and she ate it with such gusto. She didn't come from a great background either. I love I love hearing your stories. Like I love hearing your memories, your the life. Well, it's, my, it's my life. It's my life. It's rich. It's so it's rich and it's full of life. And and you know, some people they say, Well, this is what I've done, and that's it. And and you say it and you're like, This is where I've lived, and you can tell the passion coming out of you about what you've done. Because, Whether because it's something good or something bad. <laughs> I believe we all have choices. And time time is the most valuable thing in life. You'll find that out as you get to be my age. Time is more precious than anything. Don't waste it with people who bring you down, who are not successful, who are media, mediocre. I chose always to be around people that were in my business. Um, I was invited to millions of parties with people in my business. So of course you get to know everybody that's wonderful and famous. And living around the corner from Angelina Jolie was it was up. Deirdre went to school with her. She used to play in my house. Richard Woodmark was my neighbor next door. I hated him because Angie and Deirdre would jump off the double decker, the double bed, and hit the floor. And he heard it because we were living in a townhouse at the time yeah. that was adjacent to his. And he would yell, "Shut those kids up!" So one day I grabbed him out at the garage and I said, "Hey, Rich, get over here." And he come, what do you want? I said, you know who that kid is that you're always screaming at? He said, no. I said, that's John Voigt's daughter. And I'm going to tell John Voigt how you scream at his daughter. Well, he never screamed again. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And it, it was John Voigt's daughter. And John, John used to come Voigt. to my house to pick her up and drop her off. So He was a powerhouse back in the day, too. Powerhouse. He had a, he had a lot of pull in the Hollywood area, too. So. Yeah, but he was... Uh, we're not going to talk about John Boyd. <laughs> we'll let that one go for sure, for sure. All right, with uh, we've got about like three minutes. So with the last three minutes here, man, is is there anything you're getting ready to do? I know you said you booked something about a Clown Motel Two. Yeah, is there anything yeah. else on? Oh yeah, there's. Um... Are you allowed to talk? Oh, about I'm not. That? I'm not allowed. There we go. That's, I think yeah. this this stinks. I have. Six movies I'm doing, and I'm not allowed to give a title or anything about it. And I think this is horrible because pre-publicity sells a film. It should be free publicity, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, I could tell you my characters. One I play, a very nice, respectable husband okay, who has three daughters, period. Okay. I can't go on about it. Uh, it's, a, it's a thriller, by the way. Okay. Um, can I talk about the other one? Let's let's not push it. Let's not push it. No, no, I can't. I can't. Yeah, let's let's not push it. You've got six movies coming up, and that's that's what we'll leave it at right there. Well, so, actually, more than six. I just don't remember the rest of them. Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy's got me in a bunch of his films that he's producing. Yeah, I know he's got a long list coming up. So yeah, we're going to Atlanta to shoot, Tennessee to shoot, and New York. New York is. I can't wait. Yeah, Eileen's out there. You're gonna get to see her again, right? Billy I get Hess to sit out there. I get to say, oh, Billy the trick. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's my twin. 
Uh, I get to see so many. My friends Terry and John, uh, Teresa and John. I've got tons of friends. I think I lived on Long Island. Uh, I just want to eat one of his barbecues. Good God, that food looks. Oh, amazing. Billy has. Yes. Yeah. He cooks up a storm. He's quite a gourmet cook for a for a crazy son of a bitch that he is. <laughs> I mean, Billy Hess is absolutely one of my favorite people. We laugh when we, when tits tits when Eileen Shapiro and I are together with Billy Hess, the three of us. You, you Jimmy can't. Oh, Jimmy can't believe us. He said, if anybody, if a, a, a psychiatrist walked by, the three of you would be putting crazy eyes. You have scripts right there. <laughs> Go take I this. mean, we are, we are so demented together, the three of us. <laughs> oh, what we don't talk about. I said, you know, if we had a reality show, we were taping all of this. It would be such a hit. It would have to be XXXXX reality show. <laughs> like five or six of them afterwards. Oh, what we don't say about who and what. Nothing, <laughs> but everything dirty. <laughs> hey, listen, Twist. Oh, you're good. This. Thank you. You're good. You're a, convers <laughs> you're a conversationalist. I like that. You don't ask stupid questions. I like that. I right. said to Jimmy, I hope he's good because if he's not, I won't say anything. I'll just say thank you for having me on. But I'm happy to say now, thank you for having me on. And you were really good. And you're a good guy. Your music stinks. I hate your music <laughs> because I don't. I don't like rap. I mean, what the it's hell? So I loved your video, by the way. It's cute. Thank you. But what? Thank that's you. not. But what kind of music is that? Don't you have like a Johnny Mathis thing? You know, I. I I'll, I'm gonna tell you an inside secret. I wish that I could have been the rocker. I would have rather have played a guitar and sat on stage in that manner than to be the hip hop artist. It's just. I grew up in that time, I grew up in that environment, and I grew up around those people. And because of those all connecting in that manner, this is what I turned out to be, right? So well, Jimmy said to me, after you watch the video, you're gonna like hip hop. <laughs> and I watched the video and I said, why can't he sing? Doesn't he know how to sing? Why does I, he I do, I do sing, and actually you said when you interviewed me that uh, you hope that I do a, so a singing song. And so on my album that's coming up, I do a singing song. In that I want to hear. I will definitely let you hear that. <laughs> that I want to hear. I just don't understand hip hop. It's a kid thing. It's a new. It's a new way of doing it. It's not how I was educated or raised about music, so it's new. But you're good at it. And, and the I'm video is very pretty. Pretty video. I'm and I'm flattered. Thank you. You're very welcome. I just hope that you guys love. The stuff that I do, because I try to do it for everybody. So I do make the music for you. You may not like hip hop, but if you like me, then you're supporting a better version of hip hop, right? Oh, I, so, I like you. I like you tremendously. I just don't like what I look like. I look like a fat old queen jumping up and down with C.C. <laughs> Pennington. Uh, I didn't care for that. I look like I, I, I don't know. I think we I had, loved it. We I had been drinking. It. I think we were drinking a lot that it was awesome. Uh, all it, of was, it was it was fun to sit and make the video and to watch you guys bouncing around like that. And Cece Peniston, of course, is, you know, she's an, an icon, a legend in herself. Oh, absolutely. And totally. Even, absolutely. To be, even to be in the same circle of breath and mention as her is an honor on my part. I, I am just blessed beyond belief because I am allowed to do this. You know what I mean? Like, Twism, where do you live? Where I live in Toronto, Canada. Oh, 
I'm you waiting know, for you guys to come up here and have some ice cream with me. Right. Lorene Landon is from Toronto. Yes. Yeah, she's a Toronto girl. Oh, I wow. thought you were Cal if you were in California, I was gonna say come to one of our parties and you could meet uh CC. CC is, is wonderful. CC is the most down to earth, pleasant, positive thinking, smiling. Everything is a wonderful thing with CC. Nothing yeah. nothing nasty, bitter or down. She's put a delight. A, put in a good word for me, you know, a little, little elbow rub, you know. Oh yeah, don't forget she she's sold a million zillion copies of I her. Only, you know, I, I, t I tell you, tell her to tell I tell tell you to tell her this that anytime she's ready, we can go ahead and make Lizzo look like the little baby that she is. Who's who's Lizzo? Lizzo, the one that copied, you know, that was copywriting her music and stuff that had the problem with CC Penis. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're, not, we're not allowed to talk about. It. So I cannot, I cannot comment on that. No more said but, there. So. Yeah, well, she fixed her ass, so let's put it that way. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much. Thank you for the video. It's flattering. It's so nice that you think that much of me and Jimmy to put song to it or put words to it or put whatever the fuck you did to it. <laughs> <laughs> that rap shit. That rap shit. There you go. That's well said uh, right there. I think I think what I'm gonna do one day is do a rap song. Oh, I would love it. My name is Ron. I come from Brooklyn, and I'm gonna get your baby. I'm gonna. <laughs> come on. What? what? I mean, you know what? I'm so used to. Chances are, cause yeah. I wear a silly grin. Yeah. The moment you come into view, that's nice. That's but anyway, right. you're gonna make a you're gonna make a lot of money because you're a good one at it. You do it good. Thank you. You rap good. And I think you're terrific, and uh, I hope to meet you, yes, in person. Well, one day. One day. All right, you Ron. Stay, stay well. Wear a mask. Uh, what's it going on up in Toronto? Is it dangerous? So, no, it, it had its peak, right? And now they're getting ready to start what they call phase two opening. So they're going to try to open some swims, you know, swimming pool areas, um, some more restaurants, things like that. They still are not doing like movie theaters or ballparks or anything like that. Um, so it's still more the smaller oriented stuff, but they are allowing us to get back to some version of normalcy. So, but were you hit hard like America? Not, not, not anything like that. No, not in any way. In fact, I am really kind of just appalled at how that all went down. I mean, Canada and America knew and were located in the same area. So they knew at the same time and they were located in the same area. There's no reason why America should have been devastated as bad as it was when the surrounding neighbors around it, Mexico, uh, you know, uh, Canada, were not as devastated in, in, in any way, shape or form. So, Well, did, did you guys shut down before us? Uh we shut down at the same time. Trudeau and, and Trump sat down and kind of had a, a, a lover's quarrel for a couple of days about closing the border. And then they finally figured it out and then they closed together, right? But, I mean, Toronto was right across the bay from, from New York. So if New, oh, York yeah. was, if New York was devastated like that, how come Toronto wasn't, right? So I, I don't get either. I used to go to Toronto a lot when I lived in New York because the gay bars up there were fabulous. Yeah, and, no, and some of the cutest guys in the world. 
were those lumberjack Canadian types. I went out with a French guy, his name is Claude Manet, and he spoke French as well as uh, English. And we went to a restaurant called Le Palais de Saint-Michel, the Cliffs of Saint-Michel. And I thought I could speak French in you know, high school. And I said to the waitress, un plat de, meaning I thought plat was plate. I didn't realize yeah. plat in slang French is pussy. <laughs> so I asked for pussy. <laughs> and Claude looked at me and he went, Ron, do you realize what you said? What you're asking for? I said, well, isn't it isn't un plat? A plate in French? He said no. I thought, okay. So that's a, that's a true story, folks. <laughs> well, they speak French up here as as fluently as they do uh, um, English. Yeah. And yeah. I tell you what, coming from the states where they speak, you know, Spanish and Mexican as as fluently as they do English, it was it's a, quite a contrast. It's it's a very big contrast. I'm still trying to catch up, and I've been here about four, almost five years now. So, but not to correct you, so the Mexicans won't have a stroke. There's no such thing as Mexican. They speak Spanish. No, they speak Spanish. So I, 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 you know, I've actually talked to some Spanish people, and they say that they get offended when they say that the South, uh, you know, like the Mexico area speaks the same thing as the Spanish area. So, like. I'm conflicted. I don't know either way, but I have Spanish friends that say the Mexicans don't say it the same way. Like it's more, it's more slang. It's more, you know, more or less appropriate, right? You know what I mean by that? It, it, so, well, my, my my daughter Deirdre went out with a fella from Colombia, okay. and his last name was Gutierrez, and okay. Gutierrez is a very a Mexican name. So when they were living here together in L.A people would think he was Mexican and he got highly insulted. Yeah. He said, I'm not Mexican. Right. I'm, right. I, 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 he I'm thought Colombian. it was horrible. He yeah. said, yeah, I'm Colombian. Yeah. And I don't know why he thought Mexican was crap, but they, they, those Colombians, they think Mexicans are low class or whatever, or stupid, I don't know what they think. And but they get very That's what my Spanish friends say too, right? And the Portuguese, yeah. my Portuguese friends say the same thing, right? So. Well, know. as it turned <laughs> as it turned out, his fancy schmancy Colombian family were a bunch of ass wipes, and my Mexican <laughs> friends are sweetie pies. In that so I'll, I'll take I'll take the Mexicans over the Colombians, who are <laughs> snobs, any day. Any. <laughs> You're awesome, man. You're awesome. You're so oh. awesome. We've got to I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get email for days now. Everybody, <laughs> they're all gonna be writing to me. You're a racist. You hate Mexicans. You hate Colombians. You hate I'm gonna Colombians. I'm gonna get a bunch from this too as well. I already know. <laughs> I already know, man. Well, you know that's what makes it great. Just what makes it great. Oh, yes. Like yeah. I said on Chance's show, Facebook. The Facebook may take this off also. No, I put it on YouTube, so they won't. They won't do nothing. No, more. Chance's show is on YouTube for those of you who want to see it. But Facebook, Facebook is becoming a communist publication. They take every, they, we have not any longer freedom of speech. And I think it sucks. But anyway, you got to go. Yeah. I got to go. Um, I have to go uh, hose down the garden. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the hose boy. Give my love to Astro and Shazam. I sure will. And, and you forgot my girl, my, my, my Brandy girl. There's another one. I missed this one. Who's this? Brandy is the most beautiful sheepdog. She's a mini sheepdog. Uh, she's called a bearded sheepdog terrier. 
Okay. And she looks like a mop. You don't know where her head is or her ass. <laughs> and she's white, curly hair, and just so beautiful. Well, I will definitely have to check her out when next time you share some pictures. On Facebook, there's pictures of her. I will. Okay. And and say hi to your wife for me. Looking forward to meeting her, too. Yes, soon. You got to. As soon as the borders open back up. How about that? And you got it, Chiz. All right. Love you. I love you back. Take care. Bye.